Well, hello, Christ Chapel. Man, you got an extra hour of sleep and that's all I get? Man, well, most of you got an extra hour of sleep. If you got an extra hour of sleep, it's probably because you don't have young children. Uh, God bless all of you who have young children who woke up right on time. Uh, I, know, I know how that, that felt uh, this morning, uh, but it's great to worship with you. If you're worshiping with us online, uh, thank you for joining with us no matter uh, where you are. We love you as a part of the Christ Chapel family. A uh, couple things I want to do, just housekeeping things very quickly. Uh, I wanted to let you know, uh, tomorrow evening, Monday evening, we are going to open up the Fort Worth Sanctuary for prayer. Um, I, I think that's important for us to do. We've talked about uh, all the things that you should do as far as uh, the voting and all that kind of stuff, you know, going and, and praying and researching the issues, searching scripture. Those are all the things that you can do. Uh, you've probably, if you early voted, you're, you're already done, you voted. Now it's time to, to say, God, would you do what you can do? And it's time to put this whole thing back into the Lord's hands. You've done what you can do, now it's time to put it in his hands. So we're gonna open up the sanctuary from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. It's come and go. Uh, we'll have a little prayer guide for you. And uh, we invite everyone from all the campuses to come to the Fort Worth Sanctuary uh, just as a time of prayer. We'll hand you one of those prayer sheets. You can pray for whatever you want. There will be plenty of social distance distancing here in the sanctuary, but it's just a time for you to prepare your heart and to give all of this over to the Lord. Our God is sovereign and our God is good and our God will be glorified. There's no doubt about that. So we need to come here and be reminded of that as a church family. So invite you to come tomorrow evening from six to eight, come and go as your schedule permits. Uh, the second ho housekeeping item that I wanted to let you know, and this might draw some applause, um, next Sunday, we are going to open up children's ministry from zero to four. Yeah. Wow. An extra hour of sleep. And that's all we get. Yeah, from birth to four. So it has been birth to two years old. Uh, birth to fourth grade. Uh, we're going to open up children's ministry. Now, uh, some things you need to know. Certainly, the, the capacity is going to be limited. So we're going to have reservations uh, that you'll have to make. We'll give you all of this via email and the website. But capacity is limited for safety. But capacity is also limited because we have to limit it based on the number of leaders, children's leaders, that we have. And so if you have been serving in children's ministry before, it's, we need you back in, in the saddle. We need you back into uh, leading children's ministry. If you're interested in serving and you've been a part of Christ Chapel for at least six months, uh, you can go to any of those children welcomes desk uh, outside of your venue and they'll let you know how you can get involved and serve because we, we need this. Our, our children need this. Remember, we, this year we are having a family-focused vision and our families need this. There are a lot of families that haven't been coming to uh, either campus any of our campuses because they've been worshiping at home because they have uh, itty bitties or littles. Uh, they, those littles need to hear the good news of Jesus. But those parents need to be encouraged, edified, sharpened uh, through the word of God. And so uh, we want to open that up and we'll be doing that uh, this next week with limited capacity. So those are the two uh, housekeeping items. I wanted to let you know, I, th I thought about this illustration and this is a little bit too late because today is obviously November 1st. But last month, <laughs> there was something going on that you may or may not have known about. It was actually National Bullying Prevention Month. Didn't know that. I, I learned it just at the end of the month. <laughs> 
But the whole reason why it was National, Prevention, uh, National Bullying Prevention Month is because bullying has such an effect on young people in schools, uh, even on adolescents. And you all know this because as soon as I talk about bullying, you guys are all, you, you go back into this time warp where you're reminded of a time when you were bullied in grade school. You, you've already gone there. You probably even see a face of someone who bullied you. Now, if you don't see that face, you were probably the bully, okay? Let's just be clear here. But most everyone else, including myself, we remembered being bullied. We know what it felt like, whether it was you know, a, a verbal uh, a kind of altercation, a physical altercation, or whether it was just a, a isolation or uh, feeling excluded. Because that's, that's really what bullies do. Oftentimes, bullies try to gather up a gang behind them. They, they, they find someone that has something different about themselves, and they try to highlight that difference to therefore isolate them and make them a part of the out crowd because they, with everyone standing behind them, are the in crowd. And that, that has a terrible effect on young people, which is why they give a whole month to this bullying prevention now, one of the tactics that is taught to kids during this, this last month is that if, if you want to stop a bully, one, one way to help that is to stand up for the one who's being bullied. And that's really hard to do because you all, if, as you were transported back to that time, you all remember a time when probably someone was being bullied and your goal, you weren't being the one bullied, your goal was just don't stand out. Like don't, I, I just, I, if I stand up for this kid, this, this boy, this girl, then I'm probably gonna be ostracized. I'm probably gonna start getting the brunt of being made fun of or whatnot. And so you try to just blend in, go, go to the side. Don't be noticed, so therefore don't stand up. But actually, when you stand up for the one who's being bullied, it makes the bully back off. Because what the bully operates on and the power and strength, this, this idea is everyone behind me. And when they start seeing that there's not this overwhelming group behind them, but now it's an overwhelming group in front of them, the bully backs off. See, I tell you this because, folks, it's gonna be more and more important in our world today to start standing up as believers. Christians, you will be bullied in our culture. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And if you haven't experienced it yet, either you're not standing up for Christ or you're blending in. Because culture is not for Christ. <laughs> they, they, they want to single you out. Culture wants to say, you as a believer, you are arrogant, exclusive, narrow-minded, intolerant. They highlight all the things about your faith to exclude you, to make you feel alone and isolated, which if you're alone and isolated, you oftentimes say, then what's the point? I should just take it and move out of the way. But what if you stood up? What if you, what if you stood up for somebody else who's being bullied in their faith? What if you just stood up on your own and said, no, I stand for Christ. I stand on his word. 
What kind of power would that create in that moment? You see, God stands up for the ones who stands up for him. That's actually biblical. You may not remember that, but in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is sending out his disciples, he gives them this this great commission. He knows they're gonna be bullied. He knows that they're going to experience persecution. He knows that people are gonna try to highlight their differences and exclude them from society, from the in crowd, to make them feel like they're on the out crowd. So if you're in the out crowd, you'll just sit down and be quiet. And he knows this, and so he he does two things in order to encourage them to go into the world. First, he puts them in pairs, so they're not alone. So they know that they're not the only one who's gonna stand up and live for Christ. But he also does another thing. He doesn't just put them in prayers, he gives them, uh, in pairs, he gives them a promise. And this promise comes in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. This is a sobering scripture that I want to read slowly to you so that you can think about this. Jesus says to his disciples that are going into the world that he knows will not accept them. Why? Because they haven't accepted him. And these disciples are representing Jesus. And he says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Jesus stands up for those who stand up for him. That's a pretty sobering fact, that if you stand up for him in this world, on the day when you get to see the Lord face to face, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, you know me, I stood up for you. And he goes, yeah, I know you, you're mine, come on in. And the one who says, I don't know why you should let me in. He goes, you never stood up for me then. Why should I stand up for you now? Whoever stands up for him before men, he will stand up for them before the Father. You see, Christians are marked by standing up for him. That's how the movement advances. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight. We're gonna finish our series actually on the movement today. Um, It's been a a great series that I hope that you've seen of how God has created this unstoppable work in the world through his church. It started 2,000 years ago and it continues by the power of his spirit today. It continues through people like you and me, his disciples. This unstoppable, undeniable work in the world where people are transformed I am not the man that I used to be because of Jesus. And we all praise God for that. And you shouldn't be the same either. You see, as we come and encounter Christ for the first time, but we continue to worship him and his spirit conforms us to his image, we all come as we are, but none of us stay as we are. We are all changed and transformed into his image. That's the unstoppable work of God in our lives, and it shows itself out in the world as we stand up for him. 
You see, that's the movement of the church. And we have this great example of how this happened all through the book of Acts. If you look at this unstoppable movement, we get seven kind of progress reports or uh, 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 advancement reports throughout the book of Acts. And I just want to read them to you. They'll come up on the screen. But you get these seven kind of markers, summary statements as you go throughout the book of Acts of how the movement is advancing. In 247, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God spread and the number of disciples increased. Chapter 9, verse 31, the church was strengthened and grew in numbers. Chapter 12, verse 24, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. 16.5, the church was strengthened and grew daily in numbers. You're catching a theme here, I hope. Chapter 19, verse 20, the word of God spread widely and grew in power. And then at the very end of the book, Paul boldly taught about the kingdom and of Jesus Christ. It's this unstoppable, undeniable movement. And we continue to hear that the, the power of God increases in the world as people stand up for him. And these disciples increase in numbers on a daily basis. But here's a very simple question. How does Luke know that the disciples are increasing in number? The only way he would know is if these Christ followers were making their faith public. That's the only way he would know that. If they were living their faith out loud, then they could be counted if they were standing up for him before men, then Luke goes, that's one of his. You see, Christ followers make their faith public through the ordinances after they believe. And I know I'm introducing a term to you of this ordinances, which I'll explain in just a second, but let me give you a principle. I told you this a couple weeks ago that the New Testament knows nothing of a believer who's not connected to a local fellowship. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you're always connected to a body of believers, to a local fellowship, a, a church. You're connected, you're invested. That's, that's just a, a principle from scripture. Here's another principle. The New Testament knows nothing of a privatized faith. It's non-existent. The, the New Testament doesn't know anything about the believer that says, well, I believe in Jesus, but you know, matters of faith, those are private. I, I keep it to myself. I don't like talking religion. I don't, I don't need to tell anybody about what I believe. The New Testament doesn't know anything about that. The, the pattern was always, when people believe in Jesus, they make their faith public after they believe. And he does, we do this, we see this pattern specifically throughout scripture, first with, with baptism, but this is the pattern that goes from Matthew chapter 28. Th think about the great commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Another commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What did he say? Baptizing them in the name of Jesus Baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, go into all the world, and it, for those who believe, baptize them. Now, maybe a fun fact, I, I hope this isn't little known to you, but churches, New Testament churches back in those days, didn't have baptistries 
in their houses of worship. Do you know where they got baptized? In the river, in the, the creek, in, in the pond. It was somewhere out where everybody could see. It was a very public thing. It wasn't just a inside the church and I can do this by myself and I pray by myself and I do all these things by myself. Nobody needs to know what I believe. This was a public deal. You could not hide your faith and love for Jesus. It was never meant to be that way. And that's why we partake in these ordinances. The first after belief in baptism. Baptism is that, what I alluded to in the pastor's desk, a sermon without words that you are buried with Christ just as he was buried, but you rise again just like he rose from the grave into new life, into his resurrected life through the resurrection power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. That's a sermon without words. You are identifying yourself with him. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life you now live in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who died for you but then rose again. That's the picture. That's the sermon. It's your identification with him that even though you die, you will live. That, that's the picture. That's why as soon as you believe, people go and they are baptized. And we get a great example of that, that we'll look at in Acts chapter 8 in just a moment. But the other thing, ordinance that we celebrate is communion. That's this, this picture that Jesus is our sustenance. He is the bread of life as he calls himself. But his body was broken for us and his blood was shed. Why? So that ours wouldn't have to, we didn't have to pay that penalty for our sin. And when we partake of that, we partake in it as believers, together, communion, not only with God through Jesus Christ, but with one another that's what binds us and bonds us together. See, those ordinances, baptism and communion specifically, are physical rituals prescribed by Christ to illustrate spiritual realities. We partake in these because it shows and demonstrates our faith. These don't uh, give us any grace. They don't merit any favor from God, but they demonstrate our faith in God to other people. Publicly, this says, this is who I am. I've, I've put a box on your sermon notes that I hope is, is helpful for you to show you the difference between kind of the spiritual reality and the physical symbol. You see, the spiritual reality is, is inward. It changes us from the inside out when we place our faith in Jesus. But the physical symbol is outward. It's something that other people can see. See, the spiritual reality is invisible, but the physical symbol is visible. The spiritual reality is God's grace has already been dispensed to us. But in the physical symbol, the, that is displayed to other people. The spiritual reality comes first. It's primary. And the physical symbol is secondary. It comes after, after belief. And that's very important to understand because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not by works. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You don't have to take communion to be saved. Those things come after salvation. They're demonstrations of our love for God. It's a very, very simple illustration. 
But when I married Jen, and when Jen married me, we exchanged rings, physical rings, symbols. Now, this, love did not come after this ring. Love came before the ring. I just wanted to express that to her, a physical symbol of my expression of my love to her. And actually, whenever I uh, get to officiate a wedding, when we do the exchange of rings, that's what I, I tell them something very similar. I say, these are just physical symbols that are reminders to you and to everyone else that you are committed to someone. That's what, that's what these are. And actually I say, and these tell the world, back off, she's taken. You know? Don't, don't mess with her. That's what these physical symbols are. When we are baptized, it tells not only Jesus that we're committed, but the rest of the world. This is the line in the sand. This is who I am. I love him, and that's why I want to show this. You see, we always, Christ followers always live their faith out loud because Christ followers always unite together through these ordinances to demonstrate their undeniable faith. We unite together to demonstrate our undeniable faith. That's what we see in the early church in Acts 2.42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Well, what were the apostles teaching them? Matthew 28, great commission. To be baptized after you believe and then to follow in all that Jesus commanded. Well, what did he command? That we take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him, this idea of communion. And so I wanna just give you some quick reasons why we demonstrate our faith, why we show others uh, why we believe. These are on your sermon notes as well. But the first one is, it's out of overflow. Let me be clear. You don't partake in the ordinances to make you believe. You do it because this belief oozes out of you. I I can't hide it. You know, when, to go back to me me and uh, Jen, Jen and I, Jen and me, can't get my pronouns right. But to go back, when we we were dating, in the early days of dating, you know, I, I wanted to be very careful of saying I love you to her. Because I know once, you, once, that, once that L word comes out, like there's no turning back, right? You, you need to be careful with that. Young men, be careful with that, that L word. Use another L word. Use like, okay? I really like you. But you know what? I couldn't stop myself. And I would, I would remember I would tell Jen, Jen, I really, really, really like you. And she's like, I know what you mean. I, could, I can't hide it. And when I, when I took her home to meet my folks, they're like, you're smitten. There, there's an old school word for you, smitten. My parents are old school. But I, I, I can't hide it. Just like, if you love the Lord, you can't hide it. It oozes out of you. It's out of your overflow. How can I not speak of the name of Jesus? How can I not live for him? How can I not display my love for him? when he gave his life for me. How can you hide? It's out of your overflow that you demonstrate your love for him publicly. Second, it's in obedience. Jesus tells us to to do these things. Matthew 28 is the baptism. 
he tells us to continue in the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper as his disciples. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. That's why we celebrate those two ordinances specifically. It's in obedience. And guess what? God always blesses obedience. Why? Because obedience demonstrates trust in him. God always blesses obedience because obedience displays trust in him. That's why we do it. Third, it's toward our belonging. When we, when we are baptized or when we celebrate communion, we go, oh, we belong together. You're one of us, I'm one of you. It's almost as, baptism is almost this initiation. And communion, though, is this creation of empathy. That we, we belong together, we go through the same thing. So it's toward our belonging. And then finally, it's for his witness. Remember, that's why we're given the Holy Spirit from Acts chapter one, verse eight. Go back to the very beginning of our series. It's so that we will be witnesses for him, that we speak about him, that we testify to who he is and what he's done in our life. And so I just wanna ask you a quick question here. As you think about displaying your faith in Jesus and all the reasons why, if someone was to open up an investigation on you as to whether or not you were a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough eyewitnesses that said, oh yeah, will not be quiet about how much they love Jesus? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know what the evidence would be for you, but would there be enough that somebody would go, undeniable, they are a Christ follower. Because we're supposed to live our faith out loud. So here's what I wanna invite you to do as we finish our series. I don't think there's any better way to do it but to ask you to join the movement in a public and undeniable way. Join the movement in a public and undeniable way. The New Testament doesn't know anything about a privatized faith or a privatized Christ follower. If you follow in his footsteps, it's gonna be obvious. And I wanna give you an example, and I just wanna end on this example. It's from Acts chapter eight. There's an Ethiopian eunuch who has obviously come from Ethiopia. He's come to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. He does not know about Jesus. And God, through his spirit, sends Philip to go and, and interact with this Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the prophet Isaiah. And you can go back and, and read this. But he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And it's a specific prophecy about Jesus. And Philip asked this Ethiopian, he says, do you understand what that means? And he says, how can I understand this unless somebody explains it? And Philip explains how all of the, New, all of the Old Testament prophecies point to Jesus as its fulfillment. All of these things point to Jesus who died for your sins and rose from the dead. And this Ethiopian eunuch believes, and I love how he responds, and I want you to see this respond. It's in Acts chapter eight, verse 36. It says, and as they were going along the road, and he explained this to him about Jesus, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, 
See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? I love that question. What prevents me? I've placed my trust in Jesus. What's stopping me from making it public? What's stopping me from displaying my faith and love for Jesus? And Philip's answer is nothing. Let's go. And they go, they go and he gets baptized. But here, I want to end this series with just a few questions for you. First, what prevents you from believing in Jesus? If you have never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm gonna talk to you for just a moment. You need to know that you were born into sin. And because of your sin, what you deserve is death and eternal separation from God. But God loved you so much that he demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were a sinner, Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. And if you will place your trust in Jesus Christ, then he will forgive you of your sins so that you can have eternal and everlasting life with him. You can make that decision today. What prevents you from believing in Jesus? When I was in evangelism class with actually Dr. Cecil, when we talked about sharing the gospel, we talked about all of those things that I just said, but then asking the person a very simple question. What prevents you from believing in Jesus right now? And oftentimes the answer, when you get to that question is, well, I don't know what my friends will think, or I don't know what my husband will think, or my wife would think. And the response to that is, wouldn't they want you to have eternal and everlasting life? If they love you, wouldn't they want the best for you? And now you can go and share that with them. Folks, there should be nothing preventing you from believing in Jesus today right now. All you have to do is from yourself to God, just say, I want your free gift of salvation. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. Thank you for the eternal life that I now have from him. Very simple. What prevents you from believing? Second, what prevents you from proclaiming him in baptism? If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, what prevents you from making it public through baptism? I know there are some uh, traditions that baptize uh, babies. We believe in believer's baptism. I, I was baptized as a baby. My parents raised me in a wonderful, wonderful way. And I came to know Christ at 16 years old and I was baptized when I was 19. Why? Because it was my decision. That's my decision. That's my Jesus that I'm identifying with. That's my God. That's nobody else's decision to make. It's your decision to believe and it's your decision to make it public through baptism. What prevents you? I'd love to talk with you. There should be nothing preventing you. And then finally, what prevents you from declaring your allegiance daily? What prevents you from declaring your allegiance daily? If we really love the Lord and we have his unstoppable Holy Spirit that indwells us so that it can continue God's unstoppable work in the world, then what prevents us from living for him daily? 
in a very public way what others will think, that a bully might stand up and try to ostracize you and push you into the corner to minimize your faith, to make you feel like you're on the out crowd? Maybe. But that's one of the reasons why we come together. That's one of the reasons why we take communion together. And that's actually what we're gonna do right now. So I know you've gotten the communion elements uh, when you came in the room, so if you would go ahead and grab those communion elements because this is a great time for us to remember what Christ has done for us because remember, we're not only communing with him and remembering what he's done for us, we're remembering that he's put us together, that we're not the only ones that stand up for him in this world, but we stand with each other because when we stand up for him before men, he stands for us before the Father. That's why he gave his life. And so I just wanna remind you what Paul said to the Corinthian church. He says, you know, I'm gonna pass down to you, Corinthian church, what the Lord has given to us. That on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. You know that? He gave thanks. Why did he give thanks? Just pause for a second. He gave thanks because this was the way that he could bring glory to the Father by bringing you to him. So he gave thanks that his body would be broken for you. So I invite you all to Take that bread and do that in remembrance of him. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So take and drink. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you give us other disciples to walk with in this life, that you send out your disciples in pairs, in bunches, in masses, to go and display your unstoppable work in the world. And Lord God, may any fear that we have that we would stand up alone dissolve. As we know that we have your promise that as we go into all the world, that you will be with us always, but Lord God, you've put us together to stand up for one another. Because Lord God, what can't be pushed to the corner is what you have done and what you promise you will continue to do. So Lord God, give us the courage, give us the faith to live our faith out loud. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.